0: Do you think that he'll be offended if I put use that as the cold open
1: yeah I think so please, please oh. I, that. we I think we we pushed the line a little bit a couple times already you know <laughs> yeah don't don't
0: use that shoot do I need to check with you guys before I do it
1: you haven't done anything too bad yet no it's it's all it's all fine so far I, I would just say this one proudly you yeah, know not this one don't, yeah. don't all
0: right I won't sense. I won't include anything that we just said. Okay. That's actually our cold open. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah.
0: And everybody just gets to be like, what was it? <laughs> okay, good. All right, here we go. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from the lens. New Orleans first, nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Hulman. On this week's episode, a nonprofit in St. John Parish filed a lawsuit arguing that the company that wants to build a large grain elevator there owes hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes. And after weeks of delays, the Orleans Parish Sheriff's Office has turned over all records relating to their use of force in the New Orleans jail. But there are some caveats. Those stories, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, environmental reporter Josh Rosenberg. Hi, Joshua.
2: Hey, Carolyn. And
0: criminal justice reporter Nick Crastel. Hello, Nick.
2: Hey, Carolyn.
0: All right, Nick, first up with you, Orleans Parish Sheriff's Office, they've been on the hot seat for months by refusing to turn over all records of use of force by that office in the New Orleans jail, but it sounds like recently they have complied. Remind us of what was the issue here. So there's
2: been ongoing tension between civil rights attorneys who represent people locked up in the jail under the federal consent decree. Um, and the sheriff's office over transparency. And this has kind of been going on since she took office. But more recently, in March last month, these attorneys filed a motion in federal court basically asking a judge to force the sheriff to turn over records related to about five different uses of force that occurred in the jail in in late January and early February. And they said they, they specifically wanted these records because from what they could tell based on, on initial documentation, these were some pretty serious uses of force of, of jail deputies against detainees. And several of them occurred on the mental health tier. And they felt like there was some indication that they may have gone against um, the policy of the sheriff's office and may have even been uh, maybe illegal. Um, so that was kind of the, the foundation for their initial requests. And they sent in these public records requests And under the consent decree, they have basically unrestricted access to whatever the sheriff's office is is holding, is keeping in terms of documentation, um, related to both the incidents themselves and then any investigations that occur afterwards. So after any, you know, use of force, the sheriff's office investigates and, and produces reports, um, and the attorneys were asking for all that documentation, but initially the sheriff's office wasn't turning things over and so they took this sort of extraordinary step of asking the federal judge to intervene and force the sheriff's office to turn these records over.
0: Okay. So the the federal consent decree outlined that in any time they do have use of force or is the word excessive part of that or is it just use no, of force? No,
2: it's it's just basically any use of force and really you know, almost anything that's going on in the jail. Um, I'm not sure, I can't remember the exact language, but it's something like unrestricted access to all documents related to, you know, the operations in the jail. Um, so they can request these these documents from the sheriff's office and should be able to, to receive them in a timely manner is the idea.
0: Okay, and there was some pushback from the sheriff's office about turning over that documentation, which resulted in this, a, asking a judge a federal judge to intervene here and force the issue is that right yeah that's right
2: I mean it was wasn't so much pushback as non-responsiveness okay um so these lawyers were saying look if you don't have these documents then you need to tell us that or you need to turn them over and they were just kind of not getting anything and not getting anywhere with um the lawyers in the in the sheriff's office administration so that's what spurred them to file this in 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 under the consent decree and say, you know, they need to be complying here.
0: Okay. And so then the, the bottom line here is that they finally did do, but the caveat, I I guess, that I alluded to in the introduction is that um, it turns out that they hadn't done complete records of, of the use of force.
2: Exactly. The sheriff's office ended up turning over, a number of records on the day that they were supposed to respond to this lawsuit or this filing in, in, under the consent decree. Um, so they responded on the day they were supposed to, saying, we just turned over everything we have today. Um, we went through and, and, you know, talked to all the, the different investigative arms within the, within the office and we've turned everything over. Um, and then a few days later, the civil rights attorneys responded in, a, in their own filing saying, we think they're right. We think they have turned over everything they have. But there's all sorts of stuff that they're required to be keeping that they haven't. And so we don't have a full list of what those documenta- documents are. We know that some of them have to do with interview reportings and transcripts related to the investigations into these uses of force. Um, those apparently were, were missing and there there is no clear indication of when those interviews took place or... Uh, exactly, I should say I should just leave it there when those interviews took place. Okay. So those are, I think, bring up a new set of concerns for for these attorneys, and right. I think we're going to kind of see how that plays out if if they feel like the sheriff's office isn't investigating sufficiently these uses of force that they've indicated seem problematic um, based on based on their initial kind of look at things, then that, like I said, that's going to cause its own issues.
0: And or another interpretation would be willfully not complying by just ignoring that part of the ruling or that part of the decree saying that um, if we don't write it down, it, we don't have to turn it over.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of questions about, you know, what is, um and, and have there have been these questions throughout kind of the course of this administration about whether what they're doing is intentional and um obfuscating and, or whether or not you know their new administration getting their getting you know settled and some of these things just haven't been uh how should I say whether or not they don't have the, the systems fully in place yet, where everyone's you know oper- operating the way they need to be,
0: right? Sure, um, just some sloppy housekeeping,
2: right? And and kind of based on the information we have in these filings, it's it's hard to hard to say for sure. I will say that you know one of the things that the the sheriff said when she um, was elected was that within a year she was going to have kind of the infrastructure in place to come into compliance with the consent judgment. Um, Not necessarily that they were going to be in full compliance, but she would kind of have um, the structures in place needed to get there.
0: Mm.
2: We haven't yet gotten a a monitors report since she's been in office. Um, So we don't have a full understanding of kind of what the monitors, what the attorneys for people in in the jail um, and, and the United States Department of Justice think about what's going on in all the different um, categories of the consent judgment. But I think we will soon, I think within the next few months that report should come out and we'll have a pretty clear understanding of of where they're seeing issues, what those issues are um, and, and, you know, kind of what their ideas are to, to address them.
0: Okay. Nick, will you remind me if there are any uh, legal, uh, any lawsuits outstanding out there um, regarding excessive use of force that were filed perhaps by any inmates that suffered bodily harm or? There
2: aren't any that I'm aware of that have been filed since the sheriff took office. There are some outstanding ones that are continuing, but the the actual incidents took place um,
0: Prior. prior to,
2: yeah. But, you know, you'll remember there, there've been several kind of high profile, uh, instances. Um, there was a, a big protest not long after the sheriff took office where a number of detainees barricaded themselves in a housing pod. Right. Uh, and the sheriff, along with department of corrections officials used force to, to take that pod and, you know, kind of initially the sheriff said no one was really seriously injured later, you know. Uh, I spoke to several family members of of detainees who were in the pod and then detainees themselves who said they were shot with beanbag rounds, you know, suffered punctured lungs and broken ribs. Wasn't there Um, an eye injury? Yeah. I I believe, yeah, that there was an eye injury as well. So, you know, it's not to say that there haven't been um, issues raised regarding how force has been used. And and again, in addition to kind of transparency and getting the jail in line with the consent degree, reducing these uses of force and re- reducing the need for these uses of force was something that the sheriff campaigned on. Um, right. Another thing to note is, is some, you know, some of the issues with these uses of the force that they're trying to get rec- more records about were situations where detainees were, were housed on the mental health tier and deputies um, in, in one instance, just wanted to get the detainee out of their cell to process them out of the jail. When they refused, they administered pepper spray. Um, and they did that before they contacted any mental health staff. You know, this is based on um, the incidents, re- incident reports, initial incident reports. There's no indication that, that mental health staff was called. There's another incident that was somewhat similar where, where someone was going through, a, appeared to be going through a serious, mental health crisis they had a broomstick in their cell when when deputies you know went in to try and get it out they pepper sprayed uh uh, him um kind of dragged him out of the cell used force and um it kind of turned into this bigger altercation but there's no there there's no indication that there was an attempt to contact mental health staff beforehand which which is department policy um in those cases
0: okay all right nick thank you listening to Behind the Lens, I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are criminal justice reporter Nick Krestel and environmental reporter Joshua Rosenberg. Hi,
2: I'm Marta Jusen. If you've been a longtime reader of The Lens, you probably know we are a place to learn about important issues, especially those underrepresented by other media sources. It's hard work, and it takes a dedicated staff who care about this community. Please make a tax-deductible contribution today to support our work at our website thelensnola.org slash donate.
0: Thank you. Josh, the Descendants Project, a nonprofit opposed to the construction of a grain elevator in St. John the Baptist Parish, sued Greenfield, Louisiana, along with the parish's tax assessor, arguing the company's being shielded from $209 million in property taxes. We've been talking a lot about this project lately, but remind everybody what this is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, this, this is, um, like you said, the, the grain elevator, um, terminal that, that this company Greenfield is, is, uh, seeking to, uh, construct on, uh, the West bank of the Mississippi river in St. John the Baptist parish. Um, and it's been opposed, um, by this, by this group, the descendants project, which is founded by, um, the twin sisters, Joe and, and Joy Banner, who who live in in Wallace, and it's 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 been opposed by uh, different residents there. there. There's this community that is located kind of you know directly adjacent to where this this uh, uh, grain terminal might exist at some point if it actually gets built. Um, and, and and yeah, it's 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 been subject to litigation. Um, that's challenged the underlying zoning ordinance that might allow for construction. It's uh, the subject of a um, review under the um, uh, National Historic Preservation Act, uh, Section 106 of of that act that the Army Corps of Engineers is conducting. And uh, it's, you know, as, 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 as you mentioned here, it's also now the subject of this Lawsuit that the Descend, uh, Descendants Project brought that's uh, focused on this uh, cooperative endeavor agreement that the uh, Port of South Louisiana and Greenfield entered into in uh, April of last year. That, according to this analysis by the, the group Together Louisiana, would shield um, Greenfield from. Uh, more than two hundred million dollars in uh, in ad valorem or property taxes to which they'd otherwise be subject. the The argument in, in this lawsuit is that the tax assessor um, uh, for for the parish, Lucian Golf, must ignore that this cooperative endeavor agreement because the the agreement is not based on the actual circumstances here. The argument is that this is is a simulation, quote unquote, simulation, or essentially a a sham um, transfer of property that Greenfield has, you know, retained all the rights and responsibilities of ownership, and, and yet they're still benefiting from what's essentially a tax exemption. And that is really, you know, improper and uh, and, and unfair.
0: And that, that is the agreement that is referred to as the pilot, the payment in lieu of taxes.
1: Exactly. Okay. Exactly right.
0: Okay. So they're suing and saying that, that money that if anyone buys a particular swath of land, they, they need to pay taxes on it as a property owner, like we all do. But this organization entered into this, Cooperative Endeavor agreement with the port that allowed them to subvert paying taxes through this payment in lieu of taxes and The sisters and their attorneys are are alleging that that they're crying foul. They're saying that's not legal
1: Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Uh, Yes. That's that's right.
0: So The the basis for this lawsuit and and suing I found it really interesting that they're suing the assessor personally um, who is, seems to me to be stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's got his, his job to do. And this purchase of this parcel came along with this rider or caveat or whatever it might be that says they don't have to pay taxes. So um, I kind of feel for this guy, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I'm like, Poor, this, this guy, what does he do now? I, I can appreciate that, you
1: know, and, and they are uh, really forcing the issue here. I, I reached out to him for this article, and he said, you know, th- this is really, you know, in, in so many words, this is kind of a buck grade. Um, you know, there's there's um, precedent, legal precedent. It seems to me, it would uh, seem to him that it would somehow be an overreach for him at this point to. To say that yes, um, I'm 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 going to ignore this uh, cooperative endeavor agreement and the payment in lieu of taxes structure and um, treat this property as taxable. I, I would need some kind of uh, ruling, right? You know, before I I could I could do that.
0: Send a tax bill. So they are they are in effect trying to cause that to happen by filing this this lawsuit yeah and that's and it's filed exactly. in in which court
1: uh it's it's a um state court uh it is specifically the 40th judicial court of saint john the baptist parish
0: okay and so everyone has to now sit and wait for that ruling
1: mm-hmm. but just, just for some context uh here as, as well that might be interesting uh is is that under the terms of the cooperative endeavor agreement, Greenfield was supposed to have paid an initial $4 million payment yeah. at the end of last year, o- along with uh, the first installment of an, in- an administrative fee that would be due to the port. And they missed that payment. Right. That we covered before. Um, So, you know, that's, uh, and, and, and the poor kind of, you know, gave it a uh, seal of approval for that, if, if, if you will, um, and extended that deadline in, until the end of this year. So no money has has changed hands yet, as far as I know, or at, at least um, at the time of, of that uh, reporting that that we previously did. So that's, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, for the, for the sake of context, perhaps, but I, I can't say with any certainty, like how quickly this Specific uh, lawsuit might take. One of the um, legal representatives for Lucian Golf, who's the assessor, for, for the last story that we wrote about this, uh, when, when I reached out to, to him for comment, I, I got forwarded a, a response from Golf's uh, legal counsel to. Um, William Most, who, who's the attorney for the, the the Banner Sisters and the Descendants Project, I was kind of CC'd on this email, um, and and he was actually saying something kind of interesting. He was like, um, he was saying that in, in his capacity as, as an attorney, he was actually challenging a a different uh, structure like this in in, in a, for a different project. And he actually lost that case. So he, this is something that he's familiar with. Mm. And, and, and there's, you know, he was pointing to this, this binding precedent that um, he was saying would prevent the tax assessor Lucian Gough from doing what the Descendants Project wants him to do in this case. This is this before a lawsuit was filed. This is when they had just sent a letter making the same kinds of arguments. Um, so apparently there, there's some case law here. Um, and yeah, this, this is something that's, that's come up before because it, it is an interesting question, I think about what, what is the definition of, of ownership in this case, or in a, in a similar case, when, um, a company has certain rights that, you know, you would associate with, any other owner of, of property, right? But at this time, you know, there's this tax exemption component to it, and you know, it seems to be kind of a a fine line. Maybe I mean to put it generously, right? Um,
0: some of the some of the most of the rights and a couple of not the responsibilities that are attached with those rights,
1: right? Yes.
0: So, meanwhile, just remind me that this this project has this construction of it is stalled. It, it's not going. It's not happening.
1: Yeah, um, there was there's been pre-construction, quote unquote. Um, there there have been these um, these metal beams that that have been uh, driven into the ground.
0: And that was and wasn't I, that, Josh. Let me interrupt. Wasn't that yeah. subject to some criticism and and there was some pushback about that too I think
1: I mean the 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 banner sisters were you know for for their part were not were none too pleased that that, that was happening right um you know and, and different community members were were also uh, you know I've also spoken out about the uh, negative effect that that's had on them so that it, it was interesting at, at one point it's, it's it was classified as pre-construction. Um, by the company in, in a different filing. Uh, it was classified as outright construction. But I mean, that's kind of a, a tangent perhaps, although it does have different implications. Um, but yes, uh, at, at this point, uh, construction is 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 not really underway. Um, and, and, and that's the going back to, um, the the fact that this company missed this initial payment right uh was that was the reason that the the ceo of the port paul matthews gave for, for why it might be necessary to ex- extend this kind of grace and, and extend the deadline because it's it's been subject to quote uh environmental opposition unquote
0: yeah okay all right Josh well thanks for covering it absolutely okay thanks right. bye Sounds good
2: thank you I
0: guess. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guests this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastel and environmental reporter Joshua Rosenberg. You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening.